Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 139. How are you? What's going on? Today, we're going to spend some time together. We're going to talk about the benefits of deliberate hot and cold exposure. Oh yeah, girl, we're going to get hot and we're going to get cold together. So I'm sure if you follow me on the gram or you've been listening to some of the recent podcast episodes, you have seen or have heard me talk a lot about a new practice that I started a few months ago, hot cold therapy. So today I'm going to share my experience with it. When I started it, why I'm doing it, uh, the benefits that I have felt from the practice but before, and then we're going to dig in to the sciencey stuff behind it. But before we go any further, I'm going to offer you two things. The first thing I'm offering you is that I am not a specialist in temperature exposure therapy. I ain't a scientist in this. And it is a very potent stimulus. And everyone, all of you, you're showing up on the long way home, on the long road, or you're showing up to certain protocols and practices with completely different health positions, all right? We're all at different stages in our long road home. So first, please see the disclaimer at the bottom of the show notes. <laughs> this is not prescriptive. And also please refer to your healthcare team for support and guidance if you wanna start this exposure therapy, she's potent. So you need, a, you need a team. The second thing I'm gonna offer you is that a lot of the sciencey stuff that we talk about today comes from one very powerful source and that is the Huberman Lab podcast. Andrew Huberman is, well, He's an amazing man. I, I really have a bit of a crush on him. He's a neuroscience professor at Stanford and he does loads of research and education on neuroscience. He's also the host of the very cool and it's probably going to have to be one of my favorite podcasts, the Huberman Lab podcast. So Dr. Huberman did two 
really cool podcast episodes. The first was on using deliberate cold exposure for health and performance. The second was on the science and health benefits of deliberate heat exposure. So I'm offering you to go and listen to those podcast episodes. We are not going to go in depth into all the science and the physiology behind deliberate heat and cold exposure. Those podcast episodes, which are about two, two and a half hours long, are so good. I have popped them in the show notes. I've also popped the links to all the scientific papers that he mentions in the podcast episodes. So if you want to know more, you want to dig into the science, you want the nerd in you stroked, you have to listen to those two podcast episodes. You also have to listen to his podcast. It's phenomenal. It turns me on, to be honest. He is so smart and the podcast episodes are just, they just have so much information in them. But the really cool thing that I love about them is that he pulls out protocols. And this is what you'll discover in the episode today. We will talk about how heat and cold exposure affects women compared to men. We'll talk about some of the changes that we experience in response to heat as we go into menopause. Then using those two podcast episodes and the scientific papers for reference, we will talk about the use of deliberate heat and cold exposure as a way to improve our health and recovery. We'll look at specific protocols for a deliberate heat exposure. So times, temperatures, time of the day and the delivery in order to achieve specific outcomes. And we'll look at specific protocols to safely engage in deliberate cold exposure, including minimal uh, exposure times, the time of the day, optimal temperatures, recovery and mindset. Okay, so I wanted to start by talking about how heat exposure affects women compared to men and how the onset of menopause changes our response to heat. So women generally sweat less and start sweating later than men. We vasodilate first, then we sweat. So what that means is that our internal temperature uh, that kickstart sweating is higher than a man's. So we have this higher temperature, we vasodilate first, and then we'll get this sweat response. And that happens, uh, we start sweating a little later than men do. We also have a different heat loss response across the phases of our menstrual cycle. And we have this fluctuating internal temperature because of the changes to those hormones. So in the luteal phase of your cycle, especially when your hormones are highest in the week or so before your period, your core temperature is actually slightly elevated. So you start sweating later after starting exercise and your blood plasma volume is reduced 
by up to 8%, I think the research has shown. So that means that your tolerance to heat or for heat can be lower. So one of the markers that you are ovulating is a rise in core body temperature. So this is when we see in this luteal phase, this late luteal phase, that our core temperature is slightly elevated. And then when they're looking at exercise and performance, they found that we start sweating later after starting exercise. We have this delayed sweat response. And when we have this delayed sweat response, our tolerance for heat stress and heat exposure can be lower. And then with the onset of menopause, which, you know, she brings many very fun and cool things. She also brings uh, this inhibited heat loss response. So the researchers found that our heat loss response is significantly inhibited. And they found that although, you know, it can be improved with increased uh, endurance fitness, so by doing, you know, more um, longer, slower, steady state uh, fitness, it can still be an issue for performance. So they've done a lot of research on uh, our heat tolerance or how um, heat exposure affects performance. And Dr. Stacey Sims did a, I think she did a blog and potentially a post on sauna treatments a few weeks ago. And she was saying that sauna treatments can help improve heat tolerance and performance. And this is not just in women. Uh, this is, you know, in the larger body of research for both male and female, that exposure to heat over time improves heat tolerance and can improve performance. Actually, I have a friend that's visiting from Australia and he is the strength and conditioning coach for the Suns, which is an AFL team in Australia. And we did our undergrad degree together, our exercise science degree. And so we were talking about performance and we were talking about my recent experience with deliberate hot cold exposure. He was talking about how they have a heat room for the athletes to train in. So they go into this heat room, which can get up to 38, 39 degrees Celsius, and they do their training in there to acclimatize to the heat, to build their heat tolerance. And then that helps their performance uh, out on the field. It helps their um, cardiovascular performance. He said a lot of the research that they're doing and what they're looking at is their ability to do those short anaerobic efforts and how they see an improvement in that. Because AFL, there is a lot of stop starting. Uh, so their exposure to heat is improving heat tolerance, which then therefore improves performance. And Dr. Stacey Sims uh, in her uh, blog post or her post, and she also talks about it in her courses uh, when it comes to women and their physiology, that using the sauna as a treatment 
can help improve women's heat tolerance and performance. So the, the research shows that the dehydration that comes from training or at the end of the day can help reduce the time needed in the sauna to get adaptation. So when you head into the sauna at those times, your body will respond as expected by sending blood to your skin to help you sweat to avoid overheating. Uh, we really don't want to overheat. We don't want to cook ourselves. So with limited blood volume to spare, it signals our kidneys uh, to make more red blood cells to get oxygen into our organs so we don't die. Uh, and it will produce more EPO and plasma volume, which then therefore boosts our blood volume and can have a positive impact on our performance. And there's so much more really cool science and research around that, around heat exposure uh, in athletes and its role on performance. We're not going to dive into that today, but check out Dr. Stacey Sims' work. Uh, also, um, which I'll pop a link to the article in the show notes. All right, so what I wanted to talk about was deliberate heat exposure and deliberate cold exposure. First, I wanted to share my experience with it. So I started deliberate heat and cold exposure a few months ago. Uh, Tality Wellness, which is a secret uh, spa here in North Vancouver, opened up in the summer. And I have been doing deliberate heat and cold exposure at least once, but mostly twice a week for the last few months. And I started it for a couple of different reasons. One was to actually support my recovery and to see if it could help my hip and my back issue that I have going on. And we're not going to get into that today, but I believe that there is a pelvic floor issue related to it from a trauma that I had when I fell on ice really hard on my coccyx at the start of the year. So I'll do a podcast episode on that when I see a pelvic floor specialist in a couple of weeks time. So one of the reasons why I wanted to do it was to see if it would improve my recovery from my training because I'm training really hard. I've gone back to the barbell and lifting heavy weights. And I also have this uh, injury or this pain with my back and my hip. So I wanted to see if it would improve it. The other reason why I wanted to do it is because I'm really fascinated by our relationship with discomfort. And I'm not very good in the cold. I am an Australian lizard, uh, born and bred in the sunshine and the warmth. And so I don't actually thrive very well here in Vancouver. And I've had to work really hard over the last six years to develop a really strong strategy to support me through, you know, from October through to March. And that strategy is to support my energy and my nervous system when it is dark and gray and the exposure to daylight and sun is very minimal. 
so it became I wanted it to become a part of my strategy that I use in winter and I also wanted to see if it could help my relationship with cold discomfort I wanted to build more resilience around cold exposure being okay with being cold uh And so those are the reasons why I started it. I also, and it's been a recent learning from my reinvention that I'm going through, I was using training and hot, cold exposure uh, to feel physical discomfort, to avoid emotional discomfort around the reinvention and the restructuring of the business. And it is a pattern that I have found myself, um, you know, attracted to. Uh, I love physical discomfort. And so I was, you know, I was drawn to this type of therapy because it's very uncomfortable. Uh, And it's been really cool to actually witness because they're community sessions. I'll explain how it works in a second. Uh, They're community sessions. So you're with nine other people. And I've been, it's been really fascinating to watch people's relationship with discomfort. And I've seen this, you know, I've been in the training space as a coach now for 14 years. And so I'm quite familiar, you know, with, with people's relationship with discomfort Um, and it sucks. (laughs) We're not very good at being uncomfortable. So that's why I started it. And I go, well, this week I'm going three times. I normally try and go a minimum of twice a week. They are two hour sessions. And I'll just explain how, how the cycle works. So To kick off the cycle, you hop in the cold bath, the cold water for, you know, five to 10 seconds. And that just gets everything going. (laughs) Uh, And then you go into the sauna and you do a push, what they call a push for 10 to 15 minutes. Then you come out of the sauna and then you go into the cold water for anywhere from five seconds to six minutes. And then you have a rest and rehydrate. And then you go through the cycle again. You go back to the sauna, you do your push, you do your cold, you rest and hydrate. And you, you cycle through that for your two-hour session. You can take it at your own pace. Uh, <laughs> me being me, I'm extremely competitive. Uh, <laughs> and so I like to try and do as many cycles as I possibly can while I'm there. I like to push as hard as I can. And of course, I needed to be a part of the six-minute club. So when we first started going, they have a six minute club. And if you can stay in the ice water for six minutes, you get your Polaroid taken and you get to go on the board 
and you're a part of the six minute club. So of course, I wanted to be a part of the six minute club. Uh, Of course, I had to push hard. (laughs) Uh, So Carson and I are very competitive with each other. And he's also on the six minute club board um, (laughs) with his Polaroid. So the way that I do it, that I really love to do it is I don't rest much. I really just like to push. And then um, my cold exposure is between three and six minutes uh, each time I hop into the cold bath. The temperature ranges. The other day I hopped in, it was only one degree. (laughs) And so it's, it can range from one degree to five degrees normally. They also have ambient temperature baths where they sit around eight, nine, 10 degrees. So that's how it works at Tality. I've also been to one in Squamish called Ica and their cycle works very similar. And I'm sure there are many different protocols, many different cycles out there. Uh, And today we're going to talk a little bit about the science of the protocol. Like what does it look like? What is the optimal time and temperature and time of day and delivery in order to achieve specific results? Um, I actually might get Peter, who is the founder and creator of Tality on the podcast to talk more about um, deliberate hot and cold exposure therapy. All right, so I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I tend to get obsessed with things. Uh, And, you know, if I had a spare two hours every day, that's what I would be doing with my time. Uh, It is a beautiful activity that Carson and I do together so it's we try to do it at least once a week together sometimes twice it's like our date night you know (laughs) just date night sweating it out in the sauna and then (laughs) plunging or sitting in freezing cold water that turns us on we get turned on by that uh He actually made a post about Tality and our experience the other day. And he said, thank you for keeping my body and my relationship together. He was only joking, but uh, it is a really cool activity that we do together and we really enjoy it. All right. So that is a little bit of context around my practice and why I'm doing it. What have I found before we actually dig into the actual science, uh, you know, the benefits, I just wanted to share a few things that I have noticed. One, it helps my circadian rhythm. It supports my circadian rhythm really well. And I sleep so good after the session. My session times are normally four to six or six to eight. And we'll talk a little bit more about time of day 
and when we expose ourselves to it, uh, when we dig into the science. Yeah, so I normally do it between four to six or six to eight. So what I've noticed is that my sleep is very good that night. Uh, I have noticed an improvement in my recovery from my training. So I am less sore. I feel like I recover quicker and better after a hard session or a hard week of training. Uh, I'm experiencing less hip and back pain. And I am aware that, you know, this is a variable or a piece of practice or protocol amongst a whole entire practice that I have. You know, I also do work on my hip and back. I see an acupuncturist. Uh, but I have noticed since doing this an improvement in my recovery uh, as well. And yes, I have found that I have a higher tolerance to heat stress and to cold exposure than when I first started. The first session I did, I really struggled with the cold. I think the first cycle, I could only stay in there a minute. The second I pushed for three minutes and then that first session I did, I got four minutes. <laughs> I told you I was competitive uh, and that I find pleasure in physical discomfort. I told you it turns me on. Uh, and you can see Carson and I met in a gym where we were training really hard. And if you, so my training turns me on. And then watching someone else train that trains really well and also gets turned on by training is a really big turn on. <laughs> and so we met in that environment of putting ourselves through physical discomfort and being turned on by it. And I think that's why we're attracted to deliberate hot and cold exposure and it turns us on. It's very good for our relationship. Uh, so the things that I've noticed, sure, they're subjective. Yeah, when we're looking at data, we're looking at science, uh, you know, we have the objective data, you know, the, 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 the randomized control trials, the taking of, you know, samples and blood and all of the research papers uh, Andrew Huberman mentions, mentions in his podcast, you know, they, they were proper scientific papers where they were looking at uh, lots of different things. So you can dig into those scientific papers. I'm just saying more from a subjective, you know me, I like the subjective data. <laughs> I'm not much of a hardcore objective data kind of girl. Uh, but subjectively, I've noticed a difference. Uh, and so let's dig into the science so I can stroke the nerd in you if you're listening and you love sciencey objective data. All right, we're going to start with heat. So let's look at how do we heat up? 
we can heat up from the outside. So our environment, uh, you know, the clothes that we wear. So right now we're just finishing summer. Uh, we've had a couple of really hot days here in Vancouver. Uh, Australia down under is coming into their spring and then they'll enter their summer. So we can heat up from our environment, from the sun exposure. We can also heat up from the clothes that we wear. So by putting a coat on. Then we can heat up from the inside. And we have two types of body temperature. So we have the temperature of our skin uh, and then we have the temperature of our core. So when we do a lot of stuff with the cycle uh, and we're talking about temperature, we're talking about our basal core temperature. So our organs and our nervous system. And then we can also think about the temperature of our skin and they call it the shell. And so the shell will act as a thermostat. The shell takes the information from the environment or from the outside uh, and then sends, sends that information uh, to, to us. And then we have the temperature of the core. And so our organs, our nervous system, and it's always higher than the temperature at the surface. So our core temperature is higher than our skin temperature. And what the brain does is the body and the brain, well, they dance together. You know, they try and balance these temperatures in an appropriate way that allows us to function well. <laughs> and it's called thermoregulation. And it's really a process that allows your body to maintain its core internal temperature. Uh, and all thermoregulation mechanisms are designed to return your body to homeostasis. So if we start to go away from homeostasis, we get all of these signals uh, that tell us that, okay, we need, to, we need to get back to homeostasis. We need to get back to um, that, that core temperature that we, you know, that we need to maintain. It's like a, a state of equilibrium. So when you get into a hot environment, so like a sauna, our shell, so our skin senses the heat. And there's a bunch of sciencey stuff happens that it triggers, you know, it triggers certain neurons uh, in the brain, which then activates mechanisms in our autonom autonomic nervous system. So what happens is that, you know, when we enter a sauna, the skin heats first, uh, so that's the first thing that starts to heat up and then it changes our core body temperature. So that happens secondary. Then we start to vasodilate. So we have more blood flowing. We have more plasma volume and our heart rate increases. So basically the response from hopping into a sauna or a hot environment looks very similar to a cardio workout, a cardiovascular workout. So you're basically getting a cardio workout in the sauna when you expose yourself to a hot environment. So first the skin heats, yeah, the, the shell that gets the signal, it starts to heat. And then we start to get the change inside. So that core body temperature, we start to move away from homeostasis. We get vasodilation, we get um, increased plasma volume, and then our heart rate increases. 
So that's like the mechanism or a little bit of very, 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 very basic physiology of what's going on. Uh, Andrew Huberman dives deeper into it in his podcast episode on heat exposure. So if you're super interested to know more about the mechanism, uh, yeah, I highly recommend that you listen to that. So the research or the science, they're looking at deliberate heat exposure from a couple of different perspectives. They're looking at it as a way to improve health and recovery. Uh, And let's talk about the benefits that the research, uh, that some of the research has found of deliberate heat exposure. Some of the body of research has found that it lowers the risk of cardiovascular disease, sudden cardiac death, uh, heart disease, hypertension, stroke, uh, like neurodegenerative diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's and muscle atrophy. The research has also found that it allows for better physical performance and recovery. It increases the metabolism. It enhances hormones like growth hormone and cortisol. It helps excrete toxins. It improves what we call our heart rate variability, so our HRV. And it can be a treatment for depression and uh, mood disorders. And it can help improve mood. So they're really big, bold statements, yeah? It's like you look at that and you're like, wow, that is a powerful, potent therapy. And when you dig into the research and the science, it's super cool. Like some of their findings and some of the studies that they've done, it can blow your mind. It blew my mind when I started to really dig into the research. So let's look at the protocol that is recommended from the science. Uh, And this protocol comes from the Huberman Lab podcast on heat exposure. And that's what we really wanna know, yeah? Like we wanna know basically, is it good for us? Like, what is it gonna help? And then what do I have to do? (laughs) So basically I've pulled out, you know, the diamonds in the podcast episodes for you. Again, this protocol is not prescriptive. I am not prescribing it to you. Uh, I am taking the science and I'm just offering it to you. I'm just presenting it to you, okay? So this is not prescriptive. So how many times a week? The research says that if we do it two to three times a week, we're 27% less likely to die of a cardiovascular event than people who did it for once a week. And that was a study that he referenced in the podcast episode. And let me just pull up, I have a note here. Um, Yeah, that study was in BMC Medicine and it was on sauna bathing is associated with reduced cardiovascular mortality and improves risk prediction in men and women. And it was a um, cohort study. So I've popped the link to that study uh, in the scientific papers on heat exposure. That's a pretty cool stat. Uh, Four to seven times a week, we are 50% less likely to die of a cardiovascular event than people who did it once a week. 
50% less likely to die of a cardiovascular event than people that did it once a week. Okay, so that is how many times a week? Between two and seven. If we do it between four and seven, when we're just looking at cardiovascular events or health, they say four to seven times a week. If we want general health effects, the research has found one hour per week broken into three sessions at 80 to 100 degrees Celsius. So the temperature range that they talk about in the literature, in the studies, are between 80 and 100 degrees Celsius. So that's 176 to 212 Fahrenheit. The duration that they talk about, so the time in the sauna, between 15 and 20 minutes per session. And then the timing, so two hours. Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about um, our circadian rhythm first before we jump into the timing. So around two hours before we wake, our body temperature is at its lowest. So it's called temperature minimum. And then the body temperature increases uh, and then that's what wakes us up. So we get this cortisol awakening response. We've got body temperature rising. We wake up and then the body temperature increases throughout the day. And then it starts decreasing in the late afternoon to help us transition into sleep. So... uh, they have found that the later part of the day is related to benefits to sleep. So we get this post-sauna cooling effect, which then can aid sleep. Uh, So trying to do it in the later part of the day um, can be beneficial for sleep. But what some of the research and what uh, Andrew talks about in the podcast is that we could do it any time of the day Uh, is beneficial for us. So let's recap it. Uh, And remember, this this is not in depth. Yeah, I'm taking just a very basic protocol that was pulled out of the podcast episodes and the science uh, and just offering it to you. So they say, you know, for cardiovascular and longevity benefits, we want to do it three to seven times per week. For general health effects, one hour per week broken into three sessions between, 100 and, between 80 and 100 degrees Celsius or 176 Fahrenheit to 212 Fahrenheit. The duration, 15 to 20 minutes per session. And if we do it later in the afternoon, it can help sleep. We also want to be mindful of hydration. Uh, and he goes into it in the podcast episode around the importance of hydrating. Okay, let's look at cold exposure. So frequent cold exposure is linked to a number of different health benefits. Uh, And what the research has found is that uh, exposure to cold speeds up our metabolism. Uh, And another benefit of exposing your body to cold is that it reduces inflammation, swelling, and sore muscles. Therefore, it is very, uh, it's a very common protocol for athletes. They use ice baths uh, 
and other types of exposure as a means to speed up recovery uh, after physical exercise or performance. Also, uh, cold body therapy is um, linked to improved quality of sleep, more focus and an improved immune response, which is pretty interesting. If you have ever followed the work of Wim Hof, him and him and his team have done some amazing things uh, and I'll pop the link to Wim Hof in the show notes, but they've done a lot of work around immunity and cold exposure and they've taken groups of people, uh, one being the control group and one being the group that was exposed to cold therapy and they've injected a virus in them and what they found was the group that was exposed to cold uh, therapy had an improved immune response, uh, which, you know, if you read some of those studies, it's very cool. But most of the studies are done on men, <laughs> of course, in, in both heat and cold exposure. A lot of the studies are done on men. And yeah, so we've got, we've got some work to do. Dr. Stacey Sims is really, you know, one of the only researchers that has started to talk about it when it comes to female physiology and our menstrual cycle and our hormones. Of course, she's a leader in the space. Um, so I'm sure she'll do some really cool work in um, heat acclimatization uh, and female physiology. All right, so it also gave us, you know, these list of benefits and you look at it and you're like, wow, like that is really, really cool. Another thing that both of them do is that they build resilience. And this is what I'm really attracted to. These extreme environments that we put ourselves in, they make us uncomfortable. And then by repeated exposure to that, it can help us build capacity, build resilience. So let's just talk a little bit about the mechanism of what happens when we hop in the cold water and then we'll just talk through a couple of the benefits uh, to cold exposure therapy before looking at the protocol. So when we're exposed to cold, it increases uh, heat production. So metabolic heat production through a process called thermogenesis. Okay, so again, we've got the shell, we've got the core, the shell's going to get information uh, and then that is going to deliver that information to the core. So there are two types of thermogenesis, shivering and non-shivering. <laughs> so shivering involves shivering to produce heat. <laughs> and during shivering, our muscles undergo repeated and rapid contractions that produce little net movement and instead they produce actually a lot of heat. So for myself, I am a shiverer. You know, I latch on to that first type of thermogenesis and I start shivering. My core body temperature really starts to drop at around minute four. I'm pretty good for the first four minutes in the cold water and then the last minute and a half, I start to shiver and it is, it is rapid. It, it's, 
it's actually an, a very interesting experience. And so I'm shivering so hard that I have like the cup of warm tea in my hand and I can't hold it. Like it, the warm tea is spilling all over my hand because my hand is shaking so much. So my body just has these like rapid convulsive contractions that produce heat. Uh, and that's, you know, one of the ways that my body uh, is responding to the heat and trying to warm me up is through shivering. And there are other people that I witness that don't shiver at all, <laughs> which um, I find really fascinating. So I'm not going to get into the deep science of the mechanism, um, what actually is happening when we're exposed to cold. Again, I highly recommend that you listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast on cold exposure. All right, so let's have a look at a few different areas. So it increases energy and focus. It can build resilience and grit. It can enhance our mood and it can support our metabolism or enhance our metabolism. And then we'll dive into like a basic scientific uh, supported protocol. So there are a few key uh, areas that they look at when they're studying cold exposure. And I'll name a few of them and just their connection, but I'm not going to go into it in depth. Uh, so the first one is to increase energy and focus. So what they look at in some of the research is how uh, deliberate cold exposure um, really significantly increases uh, the release of epinephrine and norepinephrine, so adrenaline or noradrenaline in the brain and the body. And they are looking at how these neurochemicals make you feel alert. Uh, and, you know, if exposing ourselves to cold can increase their levels and if they stay elevated for some time, can that help us increase our level of energy and focus? And then can we then apply that to other mental or physical activities? They also look at building resilience uh, and it does, you know, forcing yourself to embrace the stress of hopping in a cold um, tub. It's a stressor. It literally takes your breath away. Uh, and so they've done some cool studies on looking at, you know, does it help us build resilience? Uh, can we build the tolerance? And then can we actually apply that, <clears throat> excuse me, to other situations outside deliberate cold environments? Can we, you know, does it allow us to cope better? Can we maintain calm? Uh, can we maintain a clear mind when confronted with, um, you know, real world stresses? So in other words, what they're super interested in is can deliberate cold exposure train our mind? And I, I believe it can. And I've experienced this from my own experience of, you know, one of the reasons why I started it was to build more resilience, to build more grit around being exposed to cold. So we have a couple of options uh, to build that, you know, to build that mental resilience. Uh, one is that we actually start to expose ourselves to cold. And you can do that by just taking a cold shower. You know, can you take a cold shower for 10 seconds and then 20 seconds and then 30 seconds? And then can you stay in the cold shower for a minute? You know, can you extend the time? Uh, 
and we can do that with you know different types I guess different degrees of cold so then moving into um, colder water and can we then build that up can we extend the time the other option uh, we can take the context of the day and the moment into account so we can and what I mean by that is you know a lot of my warrior women will know this especially when it comes to training you know we can have our program and our plan we can have the weights and we can go for that and we can keep pushing or we have another option is that we can totally take into account the program but we can also take into account the context of the day or the week or the time of the cycle or what else is going on in our lives so you know we definitely have two different options when it comes to building this resilience or this grit and this can be for our training and it also can be for cold exposure is that we can follow a prescription no matter what or we can understand that we you know are are beings that change that have many different prongs in our umbrella that have other stresses that have cycles and so we can take the context of the day and the moment you know the time of day the time of our cycle into account and then we can do as much as we can on that day in that time So how do I mentally do it? As I said, there were two tips that I was gifted and offered when I started to calm myself was to control my breathing and so reduce the pace uh, of my breathing and also stay still. And what we could also do is anchor the mind with certain tasks. So that's a, a form of distraction, I guess. But for me, what works really well is my breath and staying still, but always connecting into my breath. They've also done a lot of research around enhance, uh, enhancing your mood. So, which is, you know, stress often doesn't enhance our mood, but cold exposure causes the prolonged release of dopamine. And dopamine is a powerful uh, molecule capable of elevating mood. And so they've done some work on looking at dopamine and the levels of dopamine and how that can enhance our mood. So which is super cool. So even short bouts of cold exposure can cause a lasting increase in dopamine uh, and a sustained elevation of mood. And I think he also has a podcast on dopamine. I think it's a very earlier on podcast where he talks about the uh, dopamine's role in the body. But obviously dopamine is very much connected into mood. And so, yes, we perceive stress to not be supportive of our mood, but they've actually found if we do cold exposure, it can help with levels of dopamine. They also look at the metabolism and super short here. Basically, cold exposure increases the metabolism as the body has to burn calories to increase the core body temperature. Uh, but I don't, the research is not really conclusive around the total calories burned from the cold exposure. 
And I don't think that it's that significant. Um, but then they go into this whole thing around um, energy storage and brown fat to beige fat, which uh, we won't get into today. But there's an interesting section in the podcast around the metabolism and energy storage and brown fat. All right, so what is the basic scientific protocol for cold exposure? They say to consider doing it for 11 minutes per week total. So not per session, but rather, you know, two to four sessions lasting from one to five minutes uh, across the week to accumulate 11 minutes total. Now, how do we know what temperature? Well, what they say is that it should be uncomfortably cold yet safe to stay in it for a few minutes. <laughs> so you can do more, but this should be you know, the minimum to achieve the benefits of cold exposure. You can do very cold, very brief exposures for adrenaline release too, <laughs> which I think maybe that's what I'm addicted to. But the 11 minutes is based on a recent study that explored a range of effects and is a good, solid, I guess, basic protocol for ongoing use. So 11 minutes per week, you can break that up to two to four sessions, uh, lasting one to five minutes. Uh, so how cold should it be? I have been asked this a lot uh, and what the research and what the podcast talks about is it really depends on your cold tolerance and your core metabolism. So it should place, you know, your mind into a state of, wow, I really want to get out of this, but I can stay in it safely. It's really uncomfortable and I really want to get out, but I, you know, I'm safe. And so there's no simple prescription to extract the max benefit. Um, you know, maybe it's starting with a cold shower versus cold water immersion up to the neck. <laughs> uh, maybe you can be in cold water immersion, but you can't immerse your feet in your hands. Uh, you know, maybe it's just going outside in the cold and not wearing as many layers. Pick, pick something and then just start uh, by exposing yourself to it. And just make sure that, you know, it's uncomfortable, but you feel safe. So to dig deeper, you know, I highly recommend that you listen to the Huberman Lab podcast on using deliberate heat and cold exposure for health and performance. Uh, so that's it. If, you know, if this episode resonated with you uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you are super fascinated with discomfort and redefining your relationship with discomfort one i believe you should start uh hot and cold exposure therapy two you have to come and check out warrior school it's my online coaching program for women and so through coaching and training i help women redefine their relationship with themselves their bodies and training it's uncomfortable work uh, but we spend a lot of time on discomfort and the, you know, warrior school isn't for everyone. But if you want to, you know, have a relationship with yourself that is full of passion and desire and love, if you want to create 
a long-term committed relationship with training that flows, is fun and gets you the results that you want. If you want to build a body that carries you through your life on your own terms, if you want to fall so madly in love with your training that it becomes such a great love affair, come and check out Warrior School. Applications are actually closing at the end of September and they will be closed until next year, 2023. So if you want to redefine your relationships, if you want to get comfortable with discomfort, if you want to get stronger, come and check out Warrior School. I'd love to have you. All right, Warrior, that is it for today. Bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.